0: Okay. Hello, everybody. This is Quantum Agriculture Podcast, broadcasting from Sinatara Rainforest Retreat in Kugel, New South Wales, at the Quantum Agriculture Advanced Course 2014. And sitting with me is this lovely young man, Peter Windrum, and he's going to tell us about what he grows and a little bit more about his life. Hi, Peter. Welcome
1: Hi, Shabri, thank you. Um, Yes, so I'm from Crinklewood Vineyard, which is in the lower, cooler reaches of the Hunter Valley in New South Wales, Australia. Our primary business is uh, growing grapes biodynamically and producing biodynamic wine. Uh, We're strong believers in biodiversity and um, averse to monoculture, so we're doing everything we can within our small 200-acre plot to create one living breathing ecosystem uh, so we've got cattle, sheep, pigs, geese, peacock, chickens um, and billions and squillions and trillions of bacteria and fungi obviously but we like to sort of think everything has a role to play on our farm uh, I think I foolishly used to think that we employed the ecosystem to do a lot of the work for us the sheep to eat the vineyard the geese to go through and get sucking insects and snails out of the vineyard chickens in the orchard, um, all this sort of stuff. But I think in years of experience there, i sort of realised that we're just a part of the, the chain with them and we're actually working alongside each other. So it's it's given me a, a very sort of deeper, more enriched, immersive uh, exposure to agriculture and uh, more pleasure in, in what we do. Um, we've been certified for... 10 years now and a few years organic before that we're biodynamic certified and at the end of the day i think what it means to us is it just makes agriculture and farming more fun uh getting your hands in involved with everything and and using not just the bd preps but other you know mineral nutrients and supplements and things that we use in a sort of uh, homeopathic kind of way is just uh elating to us and there's certainly no fun in putting a gas mask on to go farming in the morning. So, <laughs> <laughs> how
0: how many years has your family been developing this vineyard?
1: My father plant, My father Rod planted the vineyard thirty five years ago. Really. Um, and there's photographs of me and my nappies planting vines, which I'm definitely never going to show anybody. Uh, so he used to grow grapes uh, conventionally back back then. In the late 70s early 80s and just sell as a traditional vineyard on. and then it was sort of after a bit more of exposure to other sorts of agronomists and um farmers and um you know grape growers and things and learning more about i guess with wine you always go back to france france is the especially burgundy it's the homeland of, of viticulture and vin- vinification basically and france has pretty much been biodynamic since the day dot a lot of People have gone conventional, but there's still little guys out there that just do nothing, don't even find or filter their wine, and that's the way they've done it since their grandfather's grandfather has been growing grapes there. So it was the exposure to the French viticulture that got my dad excited about um, growing grapes organically. And the likes of Nicolas Jolie, who's uh, quite a famous um, advocate for biodynamics and quite a fantastic character to go along with it, Another living example of it being more fun and exciting and energetic and uh, really filling the rhythm of life with what he does. And it was these sort of characters that got Dad excited and then that in turn got me excited and now we have this wonderful thing that we do together and it's it's quite a special thing to work on side by side with your Dad with something so quite pure and beautiful and fun. Um, So we both have a great time working with it and together. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm <laughs> loving it.
0: So, what kind of wines are you producing?
1: We're, we're producing um, wines that are very honest to our climate. Um, our, our biggest seller is probably currently our Chardonnay um, and our Rose, only because Rose is so popular in our climate because it's so arid and dry. And, and we're close to Sydney, and Sydney side is like drinking Rose. But we produce semillon, which is very traditionally grown in the Hunter Valley. Um, a uh, Portuguese variety, grows very well in our climate. Chardonnay. And then in the reds, we, oh, we also grow a little bit of tramina which we might grow a little bit more of. We sort of might add a little bit of that in for sort of extra aromatics into some of the other whites. Um, and it's a great thing to eat in summertime during the vineyard, because if you miss lunch, you're too busy, and the is always ripe early. You can be eating that. We also grow Shiraz, Movedra to make our rosé, Tempranillo, Durif and Viognier. But Chardonnay is one we both love and we have quite a few concrete eggs that we ferment our Chardonnay in and Chardonnay is what we want to sort of get our vineyard more um, synonymous with in the Hunter Valley. We just want to become Chardonnay freaks basically, we get so excited by it. And it's such a fun wine for a winemaker to make because it's got so much personality, flexibility and and, and muscle as, as far as what you can make it do and and where it can go. And it's, um, yeah, it's just beautiful craftsmanship. Where the other wines, the quality of the fruit as you pick, it really dictates what you do with it. And it's so stylistic in nature that it kind of just goes a certain, down the street in a certain way. But whereas Chardonnay, you sort of feel like there's roundabouts along the way that you can kind of, choose your own adventure with a little bit more so
0: yeah how what's your volume of production
1: um it's a quarter of our farm is vineyard so it's 50 acres 20 hectares of vines um and we make on average five six thousand cases a year so we're not overcropping. we're not overproducing. producing we sort of try i mean that's you know that's sort of two ton per acre so it's it's quite an honest amount of, of harvest. Um, we thin down our reds a lot, a great deal, to sort of get more flavour profile. Um, our, something like our semillon will crop quite heavily, maybe up to sort of three or four ton. But it's sort of... We're, we're trying to not overproduce to make more money. We're trying to just make a, an honest expression as possible as to what our site can produce. So,
0: Have you um, gone to France and studied or...? Someplace, or your father
1: or uh, I've spent time in France and, and funny you ask that I'm off to France in three weeks to work in Burgundy oh wow um, I'm going to a famous old vineyard in Montrachet and Montrachet is uh, the home of Chardonnay funnily enough I just said that thing about Chardonnay I'm going to uh, Domaine de Pellini which is uh, right in the heart of Montrachet and I'll be making things like Grand Cru and Batard Montrachet and things like that so I'm I'm very excited and I've I've made a lot of contacts in Burgundy or in Montrachet with the likes of Demain Laflave and uh, Jean-Jacques Morel and other people like that that I'm keen to go and sort of spend some time with and just chat to them and, and, and that's the quite one of the beautiful things I love about biodynamics about meeting the likes of you and Hugh and the other people at this course this week is, is that you can just pick up the phone and you can just cold call somebody and just say hey you know I'm a biodynamic farmer viticulturalist from Australia and automatically the doors open um, they there's just a commonality and a, and a respect and a love of, of what we're all doing with, with what we're working with and uh, respect for one another for doing it because it's so easy to go the other way and that's where the masses are going and there's still a little bit of that downstream mentality of sort of binding together uh, so I'm yeah very excited about going to France and um, hopefully get to sort of pick the brains of these um, these French winemakers and uh, viticulturalists and sort of uh, see what they do and bring a little bit of it back home.
0: Who's your certifier?
1: We're with ACO, uh, originally BFA, but sort of yep. part of the same mob. Um, and they've been really good with us, and it wasn't a choice that we were just like looking, weighing up the likes of Demeter or Masser mm-hmm. or ACO or whatever. It was just we'd heard good things, and... Uh, the first person we spoke to about getting certified we pretty much just got put in touch with ACO we've had a good relationship with them and funnily enough they filmed their latest marketing campaign at our farm um, and interviewing me as a as an example of what a biodynamic organic operation should should be and should look like so which was very nice of them to do that because there's some pretty amazing places out there and um, so we were happy to be part of that and the certification process doesn't work for everybody. Uh, it's, um, but it's something that we, with something like alcohol, I think it's quite important because um, alcohol is one of those things that people can have issues with or, or abuse or whatever. So we feel like if we're growing something that is already a, a risk substance, if you like, we wanted to do it the most pure way possible. So
0: it was interesting, is at one time. There was some rumor that Steiner didn't believe in alcohol. And I know personally that the vineyard industry has been one of the greatest growths in biodynamics on this planet. It's been a result of vineyards turning biodynamic. And it's really grown biodynamics, you know.
1: Yeah. I think Steiner had a fear of um, the plant spirit overtaking the human spirit. Oh, I don't know if he that. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. So the scripture says. And I, I don't know. I have heard things about Stein with alcohol that um, on one hand he thought it was possibly good because it... And I can't remember if it was whether it sort of uh, quietened the inner clairvoyant or it actually uh-huh. withered, it, it shut it down so it wasn't a good thing because I know there was that clairvoyancy going on in his early life which was still not the norm. So... Um, yeah, it's interesting that he wasn't into drinking alcohol, but I think a lot of the great minds back then, probably before the likes of cocaine was invented, were all uh, very sober. You know, you look back to the Greek gods, you know, and, um, you know, the likes of Ramses or someone, uh, Egyptian, sorry, none of them drank, you know, because, like, the imminent threat of battle meant that you had to be on, you had to lead thousands of yeah. men, and, you know, you ruled, and, and it's similar to, I think, with a lot of the great thinkers of the late 18th century and 19th. Um, sort of early in the nineteenth century that they sort of lived with those certain um, feelings as well towards alcohol, like sitting around and and numbing yourself meant that you 're possibly missing out on an opportunity or mm. yeah time to advance and...
0: do you do you uh, make your own preparations or
1: yes, we do you if, bury
0: your own horns
1: yes, we do. We have a uh, collective uh meeting every um uh Equinox where we all get oh, to the, get, Hunter,
0: the Hunter Valley yeah, Biodynamic Association. Yes. Those
1: guys, but also we invite our members and we invite local community and we get the likes of John Priestley down. John comes out every year and... Uh, the likes. A, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the man. Uh, he comes and works with us uh, for that weekend and it's great fun and it's one of those things like, as you know, it's that community thing and, and it's funny because you get people over from Newcastle or down from Brisbane or up from Sydney or whatever and uh, they're curious either for their restaurant or their home garden or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. They want to buy a farm or they've just heard about this thing and they're interested and it gets time to bearing the horns and I've got all the manure there and, And I sort of say, "Come on, everybody! It's time to kind of get involved." And you see these people kind of like trying to hide behind their boyfriend. I'm putting my hands on any of that. Come on, come on! You all got there's one each, or there's five (laughs) each. You all got to get involved. And the next thing you know, they've got it squished all over their arms, and they're laughing, and it's like just and feeling it. You know, I've I've seen a lot of the Peter Proctor stuff in India because I used to live in India, and they're big into their biodynamics, but. The healing properties that the Indians say with that yeah. connectivity with the uh, manure all over their hands. You is, know, one of good. the
0: best ways to cure, um, like, what do you call that, athlete's feet? Yeah. Athlete's feet, is to stand in raw cow manure. Right. Grass-fed,
1: no. Yep.
0: Yep, to wow. stand. Yeah, because the microorganisms, the microfungals that are in there, they're very yeah. curative. Wow. And they're overwhelmed, the fungus in the foot. Yeah. Or on the foot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's but, one of the cures. Okay. This
1: is How I'll have to remember that next time I get athlete's foot, but I don't really go for a jog or anything. So. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, yeah, yeah. That takes earthing to another level, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's not just walking out in your pasture or your soil and standing in it. It's like, and you might get taller as well. That's
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, you know, I mean in India they polish their floors, their their earthen floors with cow dung. Yeah. And that's that good microorganisms that come in there and yeah you know, and polish that down and, and Yeah. And well in and Africa they it. build
1: huts out of it, you know.
0: Exactly. It's, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And um I used to do a fire ceremony. In fact, did you read Secrets of the Soil ever?
1: Secrets of the Soil. I've got it and it's on my shelf and it I haven't has, got to it yeah. yet. <laughs> okay. I will.
0: No comments, but you will see. Yeah. <laughs> so um, John Priestley brags about about your Crinklewood farm as being the best biodynamic farm in Australia. And in interviewing your dad, I was so amazed by what he was talking me about. Um, and so could you just talk a little bit about what predator insect uh, yeah. habitats mean?
1: Yeah, well, basically, um, the, the thing that we think about is um, if, if the ecosystem or... Our micro, macro, meso ecosystem is is one circle, right? And everything that is involved in our farm is all on this, including us. If we were to go in and take one thing out, something else would rear itself up and cause a problem for us. So in, in our vineyard, we have the same problems as every other conventional vineyard, but we're just not spraying chemicals to deal with it. And one of the things that comes around every summer is um, light brown apple moth. And that can destroy vineyards. It can wipe them out. And this is just one example. So we have olive trees planted around the, the full parameter of, of our vineyard. Um, hundreds of trees. That's, that's obviously, it's 50 acres of vines. And we uh, got some trichot grama wasps. And what these tricked grama wasps do is they sort of fly around and they come and they can have this infrared amazing sensibility to find where the light brown apple moth, Eggs are laying, and these wasps come along and lay their eggs into the eggs of the of the light brown apple moth. And then what they'll do is the um, the gestation, but not gestation period, but the period before they hatch is so much quicker than those of the of the light brown apple moth that the wasps hatch and they cause the um, eggs of the apple moth to explode. So you get this great explosion; these um, wasps fly out, and their populations just double and triple and you know, and then the olive trees provide a natural habitat for these wasps to live and thrive. So that's one of the examples I sort of use for sort of you know the biodiversity in action, mm-hmm. um, the farm taking care of itself, and and the more that we can kind of do those things, the better. Uh, you know, it's and it's not about importing things. You know, we we bought some Trigger Grandma wasps, but it turned out we actually had some species already there. But the likes of um, lady beetles you know like there's there's photographs that i take in the vineyard and i'm walking through doing leaf samples or something and i'll turn a leaf over and there'll be literally 50 lady beetles on one leaf and i t- say that to people and they go oh you're right i've never seen lady beetles like that in my vineyard i'm like well are you biodynamic are you organic they're like well no i'm like we're well, never going to see them because you're spraying out so many pesticides and insecticides and herbicides and things no matter what it is it's all disrupting the environment and so the lady beetles take care of the aphids and then, you know, something else feeds on the lady beetles. And so we've got this beautiful harmony of things all, all just working. Fantastic. Yeah. So it, it gives you such a, such a lift, like I sort of said before, not just, and it's not just making the preps and things for me. And I, I think biodynamics wasn't so much about reading the Steiner lectures. I mean, that's the, the, the starting place of it. That's the foundations and it's all on stone. And it's not just the nine preparations, you know, with the compost ones and things. Yes, it's all of that. And it's understanding all of that and using all of it. But it's the window that it opens, the portal to everything else. And the respect and understanding and love and harmony and and rhythm, you know, is, is really what I get a kick out of. Um, I remember somebody said it was... Yes, it's a spiritual science, an ag- agricultural science, and it's an amazing science, but it's also just an understanding of the harmony of organisms. And I take that word harmony sort of daily with me. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, we'll, bro- we'll play music to our uh, fermenting wines and our eggs and. You know, big fans of a motel and all these other sorts of people. And um, you know, I play Bach and um, and and I play uh, Chopin, mostly Chopin, to be honest. No Santana. <laughs> Santana would be great. And then when we made us, and I go to sleep above the winery, so I have these fermenting wines and Chopin wafting up. So I sleep pretty well over summer. And um, and this is not unusual. Other people do this. I'm not saying this is something that we created or whatever, but it's. It's one of the things that we took on and we run with and we just we feel like it's a very special part of what we do. And we made cider as well this year for the first time, which was wow. something that I was keen on. Um, very organic. We did it. I was just thinking I want to do a nod back to the old monks of Normandy and get some certified organic fruit, stomp on it and throw it in a barrel and that's it. <laughs> and then literally siphoned out of the barrel into bottle and bottle by hand. And I've done it and it and it's great. But for that I used a bit of electronic. Uh, sort of mellow electronic music and, um, and because I wasn't carbonating it, you know, I was like, <laughs> this is going through a very early subtle secondary fermentation. So I thought the lightly more effervescent music might sort of do something. Um, and we had, a, we had a group meditation in the vines this uh, winter on the night of the winter solstice. Lovely. And it was one of those things where I sort of think the the power of collective consciousness and uh, uh, energy that you can get from all of you together in sending some love and harmony, you know, raking it in from the cosmos and down through ourselves, down into the vines, down to the roots and into the soil so there's some sort of love blanket for the winter. And and we did it in, in a few few people heard about it and they thought it was a bit silly but I thought oh well (laughs) that's your lot but the people that came uh, I invited the neighborhood the the rural community where we were and there was probably about 30 of us that did it and they walked away high as kite like just had such a beautiful experience so we did it for an hour and into the darkness and everyone woke up the fire still going and it was pitch black and the stars were out and they felt a kinship with the vineyard which is the thing that my old man and I feel um, it's not just this sea of um, vines. Everything's an individual plant, and you care for these little plants in your garden. Every one of these things is like that together. And, and they walked away with such a real connection to it. And it was, yeah, it was pretty special stuff. So harmony is um, something that we uh, take quite seriously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh God, I'm
0: so grateful
1: to listen to you. I really
0: am. Um, who picks your grapes?
1: We do, we do. So basically we get a couple of extra pickers in or we have woofers as well over, we have woofers over the uh, busy winter period of uh, pruning and things and also over summertime, Summer's obviously the busiest time on a vineyard and so this year it's all of the family from wherever they are, they all come to the farm sometime over summer so we've got my young nieces and nephews and my sisters and... Mum and Dad and um, my wife and friends come up and we have the wow. the the, vineyard, the two sort of uh, full-time vineyard staff. Their wives or girlfriends will come around and it sort of is one of those things where you, you're down there at sort of 5.15 in the morning. You go hard and sometimes you're going like through to the end of the day and it's quite knackering and Dad and I'll have to go off and start processing wine after we pick. So they're, they're big days. Then you're processing wine until early hours of the morning or whatever. But... The days there where we just everyone's there and we pick and we sort of finish at two o'clock and then we all have a barbecue and a glass of wine or a couple of beers and then everyone just sort of falls about knackered because it's, <laughs> it's, it's get pretty hot too. It's forty degrees and yeah, and you're going hard because you're racing against the sun. Um, yeah. So it's one of those jobs that is critical for the family, all of the family, even if they don't work full time for the vineyard to be part of. Um, yeah, I've heard of other people having. Um, the conference one of the guys mentioned who was a friend of Peter Proctor about having family day on the farm and that really resonated with me and you know picking picking a job that might be the most sort of grubby or hard job on the farm and going, all right let's make like that family day job and everyone rolls up their sleeves and gets in there and you know so there's there's no hierarchy there's no this or that it's like um, everyone's got an idea for something let's do it you want to plant this let's plant it there's so there's no kind of dictatorship or whatever or anything like that. So yeah.
0: your dad is, and mother are extraordinary to raise a family. Like I mean the example of who you are is pretty extraordinary. Any parent would be this is a dream. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz you know I sit here and interview farmers and wherever we travel and one of the first questions I ask them is who's going to take over your operation. And I swear it's 80% don't know. Yeah you know what are you going to do and you don't you're working your tail off and nobody there that you know is going to take over your farm yeah it's the biggest dilemma in agriculture
1: bigger than chemicals it it (laughs) is and you know with the average age of farmers being dad's age which is 65 um and then to not have a son or a daughter or a nephew or a, a young guy that your family love or whatever to sort of be around to kind of want to glean that information, that knowledge and, and, and be there to sort of look after things, I think will be pretty sad. And I don't. my dad didn't always have um, me with it, you know, because like, I was sort of brought up there and then went to school in, te- in the city and then came back and then he always encouraged me to go off and do my own thing and I think in doing that, I arrived at it on my own terms and I pretty much just called him and I said, I'm coming, I'll be there on 1st of October, um, come back sort of thing. And I think he was a little bit apprehensive because it's quite a big deal. Um, there's a lot of responsibility that goes with it. And I needed the time to kind of think about it seriously. And uh, and I did. And I've uh, never had a bad night's sleep. Well, <laughs> that's a lie. I've had far fewer bad nights sleep being back on the farm than I ever yeah. had. Um,
0: do you live there personally? Really yeah, now? I live there full time. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. And you're, you have children?
1: No, I don't have any children. I'm married. Uh, my wife lives... Part time with me and part time in Sydney, so um, we don't fight very often because we don't see each other seven days a week. <laughs> <laughs> said for that.
0: Plus, you make good wine; just drink a little. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and she's um,
0: so who does the marketing? Uh,
1: it's a combination. My sister works full time for the business, right, Michaela yeah. Carla, and she works out of the warehouse office in Sydney. So she's been doing that for at least 10 years. Um, and funnily enough, my other sister, who's the middle child, Danica, she is the marketing director for Henschke and Bollinger and has worked in alcohol marketing for a long, long time. So she's got she's a great brain for uh, particularly mum and dad to sort of pick and kind of go, oh, you know, do you think this is a good idea? And just little things like... Dad's a super generous man, and, and when we started out, he was like, oh, you know, it's free freight, you know, I'm just excited that you like the wine, and of course people like the wine, it's biodynamic wine, you know, and it's like, <laughs> but he's very humble in that way, and then Danny was like, just charge freight, it's so normal, and the next thing you know, your bottom line's come up, and so it's very good to have those sorts of resources for them. Um, and I think as far as succession plan, just hearing you say that, they're probably quite lucky. They've got someone who makes wine, someone who's in wine marketing and someone who knows how to run the business.
0: <laughs> and somebody who works well with their parents.
1: Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things. I, I, I love working with Dad. Um, we have so much fun together and it's, it's sometimes it's a bit stressful or whatever. You know, he's sort of maybe carrying a bit more of the emotional energy or something than I am and, and I can see him getting a little bit more maybe fed up with me or something every now and then, but it's just one of those things that's just part of life. And if you respect each other and love each other, it doesn't really mean anything yep. more than yep. what it does or what it is. And we'll we'll wash up. I'll be cleaning out the tanks. It'll be 8 o'clock at night and he'll go, all right, I'll go and start cooking steak and open a bottle of red and I'll wash my hands and come in and dinner's ready and we sit around and play a bit of guitar together. and oh, And it's like you know, you've forgotten that you've just had an 18 hour day of stress together, (laughs) but it's never like stress, stress. It's sort of, you're under pressure and and things can go wrong, but it's quite a beautiful thing that you're doing. So it's, um, the whole time, it's generally kind of fun. And, you know, he, yahoos and high fives as the grapes start going to the press. And so there's a lot of fun in the whole process.
0: Do you keep investing in equipment or are you up to where you want to be? Or
1: we do, um, we've got, as far as like um, big machinery, like the presses and stuff, are concerned, I think we've got what we'll need for at least the next five years. Maybe forever. Um, tanks and things, yeah, we've got probably... We could almost not quite double our production with what we've got, we've got enough there for the moment. But it's things like barrels and eggs that are the expense. Do you any,
0: buy some of Phil's eggs?
1: No, we actually buy from France. Um,
0: While you're in this region, you might want to go over to Byron Bay and see his eggs.
1: I, I saw his samples at the um, BAA. You know, I've
0: been where the forms are.
1: Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, they're beautiful things. Ours are 600 litre yeah. um, yep. concrete. And uh, yeah, we've got a handful of those things. And they're just beautiful objects. It's just, I mean, shipped in concrete. That must have been... Yeah, it's not cheap. <laughs> oh,
0: but check us out. I think you, you might yeah. find them very intriguing. Mm. And and beautiful.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: and they fire them right there. And,
1: yeah. Um,
0: a friend of mine runs the kiln for him when he does a firing. Oh, okay. On those eggs. Yeah. So.
1: yeah, and I liked Phil. He's a he's a good character. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And um, these eggs are beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, and quite an interesting thing, you know. So, do you do tours, farm tours, also?
1: Not in a, an official capacity, but in a way where people kind of call up and if they book for a, a group tasting or something... Oh, so you
0: have group um, tastings.
1: We do have group tastings by, by, by appointment only because we have two girls that work in the cellar door and we're quite small. And we like to give everyone the experience. And there's a lot of... There's a lot more dialogue and conversation that goes with this sort of stuff than it does with going just to try yeah. Joe Blow down the road's chardonnay that he, you know, found yep. with, with chemicals. And there's... Look, I, I never... Um say anything negative towards that sort of stuff at all that's not that's not my agenda what i'm saying is is that um when they come out here, I can sort of sit down with them and explain the philosophy of the farm and what what a living breathing organism means not just a bit of mumbo jumbo or you know a lovely sort of buzz sentence it's actually you can show them examples of you know the the sheep are weeding the vineyard there do you sort of get what is happening there it's like someone doesn't have to do it and they're fertilising it and all these sorts of things and so we like to give everyone enough time to sort of understand what biodynamic wine is yeah. and um, it's not just non chemical agriculture which is I think where people sort of start and stop sometimes so appointments only and we do do tours and it's normally just Dad or I um, take people for a walk through the vineyard through the orchard and veggie garden and then down into the vineyard and around sort of you know, back up along the river and back up to the house. It might take anywhere between half an hour and three <laughs> hours, depending on how yes. interested your group is.
0: Well, and also how much time you have in that day.
1: Exactly, yeah. You know. Yeah. But I, I think that's the thing that we, we love. We've, we we never advertised and we um, we never really sought out too much to kind of uh, get distributed wide widely mm-hmm. and sell heaps through certain restaurants and it was important in the early days to kind of get into a few key restaurants in Sydney and Melbourne and things but the, the heartbeat of the wine is the farm and for people to come and sort of experience that that's, that's the bonus you know that's what they walk away and they, they say to their friends oh I went to this great place and they do this or that and, yeah. and they have this ownership with it and that's yeah. what we like
0: um, I, yeah. think, I think because I've heard a lot of controversy about the Biodynamic Agriculture of Australia um, wine conference that they put on, yeah, which was also their AGM, and yet John Priestley said it did more for biodynamic agricultural Australia and biodynamics in this continent than anything else. I think bringing Nicholas Jolie over and was just huge. Yeah, you know, it really increased biodynamics.
1: Yeah, I unfortunately missed that, but um, I heard it was really impressive and. You know, like I sort of say, with biodynamics in action and especially viticulture, and wine's one of those things that is so globally loved the world over. You know, it's it's almost sort of its own currency or something. And it's when you get somebody like him who's such a great character with it and you see the enthusiasm that he can speak about his farming practices, that's the thing and it's infectious and it's... We all know those alpha males that are friends and you you know, they might have an accent or something and all of a sudden you're speaking like them or da 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 da. <laughs> Nicholas Joly's, you know, slapping his thighs and he's sort of talking to the sky yeah. and clawing at it and things and with that <laughs> lovely, lovable French English which we all sort of have a soft spot for. It's a, it's just a win win situation. Um so I think that was very smart. And like you said, you know, um viticulture was one of the things that was, you know, the first to sort of really really adapt biodynamics in a big way. I think he was a real coup to come. Well, these
0: lectures that we've been listening with Dennis Klochek, yeah. they're usually at the Fry Vineyards in California. Oh right. And the Fry Vineyards were the first organic and biodynamic first. vineyard in the US.
1: Yes. Very
0: interesting story. Two doctors, yeah. I think they had seven or nine children, yeah. Decided they wanted to get out of the city and they created a vineyard. And all their children yeah. lived there. Wow. And
1: well, they've got full- time staff in the family <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's
0: right, and remember labor in a, in the states is about a quarter of what it is here, yeah, you know, so you get um but that's where the that's where the dentist does an annual weekend workshop there.
1: That would be interesting because I think they've been certified for thirty years now, something like that, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: The parents were a psychiatrists right and
1: yeah, beautiful story, beautiful people too. I'd, I'd like to meet those guys and that's the thing I, I'd like to sort of...
0: Why don't you come to the National Conference in Louisville? When is that? That is November 12th. Whew. I know.
1: I get back from France on October... No. Yeah, October 12th. Yeah, anyway, it's a possibility. Yeah, it is a It's <laughs> a beautiful conference. Mm.
0: Fantastic. And um, yeah, I was quite impressed. I'd love the...
1: to. If I don't this year, we'll... Will go next year. It's every two years. Oh, every two years. Oh, yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, every two years, and mm. and it's just grown I mean, I can remember the national conference like four or five years ago. No, five years, six years ago, there were 150 people there. Now this conference will be at least a thousand. Wow. And it's really extraordinary.
1: Yeah. And
0: and Dennis has been pretty much a great deal. That's why he was a keynote speaker last year. Mm. And the conference was called Sacred Agriculture.
1: Right, great. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's that's <laughs> special. <laughs> that was.
0: It's like, just step out and just say, this is what it is, folks. Yeah. This is sacred. Yeah. You know? It
1: yeah. doesn't
0: matter what definition you have of that, but this is that. Yeah. And, yeah, it's great. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's simple. I mean, with a, with a mind like his, and then with the sort of energy of... Um, the people in the States that are getting behind, you know, sustainability and organics and biodynamics and things, yeah. it's, they, the, that's the great thing about it. the Americans, they take to it with a fever, you know, mm. it's like, let's get behind this, you Yeah, know, it's sort of a campaignable sort of <laughs> Well, I, I think
0: that's one reason, this year, Hugh's new book was coming out, Quantum Agriculture, Biodynamics and Beyond. Right. And so I've been sort of setting up a lecture tour. Yeah. And you see some of the places he's spoken to 15, 20 years ago, yeah, yeah, 50 farmers, Mm. now there'll be a thousand people there, Mm. Carolina Stewardship, you know, which covers Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina,
1: Mm. there'll be
0: a thousand farmers there, yeah, yeah. Georgia Organics, he was on the first certification committee in Georgia Organics, you know, Mm. maybe 30 by, uh, 30 organic farmers in the whole state of Georgia, yeah, yeah, I mean, thousand people at the conference. Yeah, you
1: know, that's great. It is. Yeah. It
0: really, really is. It's mm. amazing.
1: Because of that thousand, they're all going to tell at least two people, and then they're going to tell somebody well, else. I was
0: very impressed, and I hope that Bonin and Agriculture Australia can progress to that, as they have a young farmers apprenticeship program.
1: Yeah, there
0: two year apprenticeship program, Mm. and you see what I want to do is here in Australia see if we can bring that same thing in where we have a mentorship program, which brings these young farmers along, Mm. and you know, it's really could be so possible because if we don't, there won't be agriculture on this continent, or it'll be by some other race of people over here running it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's very true. I mean, it's just I think. Finding that um, that vehicle to sort of stimulate the the kind of the younger crowd is is pretty important because it's that's the sort of the new wave and you need them just buzzing on it you know like exactly. I mean I'm personally so excited by it but none of my friends really know anything about it or yeah. um, guys I knew through winemaking making school or whatever are just kind of like oh it sounds pretty interesting but that's it you know it's like <laughs> they taste it yeah that's <laughs>
0: that's what Hugh used to say because you know he had to start. A farmers market in Georgia,
1: mm.
0: with a couple of other growers, didn't exist. I mean, mm. there was the farmers market with all the chemical stuff for the wholesaling of restaurants and yeah. all that stuff, but there was no organic farmers market. Mm. And he had to create a market. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Drive two and a half hours to get there. Yeah. And and now, oh, I mean, there's organic farmers markets everywhere.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and
0: and thriving. Yeah. It's absolutely thriving. So, there is a view to small scale agriculture. Yeah. And our, and our friend Jeff Poppin, also known as the Barefoot Farmer. Right. And he is. He has a yeah. beard longer than yours. Wow. And, and, <laughs> yeah, really. And a uh, big rock musician. Yeah. And somebody said he's just, you know, a wannabe rock star. But yeah. <laughs> well, they live near Nashville now, mind you. Oh, okay. okay. Cool. So, he's, he's taken on, he's created this food summit in Nashville. And it's a local food summit, and this year its main focus is going to be bringing bringing the city fathers in to see, listen, we can provide the food for this city with just a little bit more. Jeff has personally seeded out and taught and created 30 small farms within 10 miles of downtown Nashville.
1: Wow, that's fantastic.
0: One of them, one acre. Some of them, 10 acres. Some Mm -hmm. of them. But you know, he's trying to show them the possibility that local farming could feed that city. Yeah, and and this yeah. is really important. This is what food security is.
1: Mm. And actually, the same could be said for so many cities around the world, even in Australia, like Sydney, surrounded by farmland and market gardens. The same. I know. I love
0: flying over and you see them. And yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's cool, isn't it? But that could, you know, that sort of principle could be added to. I think it is being added. I
0: think it is being added, though. That's all those small farms. Yeah. You know what's interesting to me in noticing these conferences? Who's driving these conferences now? Are the consumers? Yeah. I've noticed that, almost every conference that we go to in the U.S. It's like run by chefs practically now. Yeah. They don't market to farmers anymore. Mm. They market to consumers. Yeah. And chef so and so will be cooking, or chef such and such yeah.
1: will be cooking. So
0: it's the chefs are driving the market now. Yeah. You know. They are. And it's good.
1: It's great. I mean, because if they're, if they're chasing the right things, they're driving the right things. Exactly. So everyone's producing the right things and eating them and drinking them in the end. I ran into a couple of chefs the other night at a new restaurant in the city, and um, I the head chef sort of saw that I was there through one of the sommeliers and he came and talked and we just talked about raising organic pigs for about an hour and his whole slow food movement that he's producing over... slow food, great. Yeah, three three new restaurants that are all organic and um, locally sourced produce and things and and he's doing three in one hit in the city just because of the demand from the consumers and he, he says, I want to know every single farmer, I want to know where it's from, I want to know the story, I want to have been on the farm... I want to experience it because then I believe it and then I know it in intuitively. You know, like um, you know that old saying of, you know, know what you know. Is if he's like, I know Pete has this great boar, Berkshire boar called Bruce and Bruce is really funny and all of a sudden he's got stories to share in his own space, you know. And what I, you have
0: to do is take him out and we went, we went on this Tassie dairy tour when... Dairy Business Center was first bringing you on board. Yeah, and so we went on this northern of Tas- Tasmania dairy tour. It was very interesting, but they made sure they took us to this restaurant where you can go out and feed the pig beer. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool! <laughs> yeah, hold the bottle up, the pigs like. And <laughs> hey,
1: what's the twelve-step program for Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wine. There's our wine-fed pig.
1: <laughs> well, actually, we give the pigs, uh, you know, grape pressings, which I'm sure are fermented. And, yeah. um Like in happy
0: pigs. Happy pigs,
1: exactly. <laughs> you know, sort of. Yeah, that must be the the day of uh, consummation in February. <laughs> the pigs actually yeah I'll, I'll count back my days
0: <laughs> <laughs> having problems with fertility <laughs> little uh, grape pressings
1: <laughs> uh, I'm sure it work <laughs>
0: it works for everybody else exactly <laughs> like it or not <laughs>
1: Oh, I'm gonna have to get like a little uh, camera set up in the tree in there. <laughs> <it>? <laughs>
0: hey, Susie,
1: <laughs> come
0: over and taste these grapes.
1: Go <laughs> <laughs> go for your life. Eat as much as you want. <laughs> oh, sweetie. <laughs> Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bruce, you bad boy. <laughs>
0: you take me to the best places.
1: it's <laughs> you know? oh, funny. Yeah, it
0: is. Why not have some fun? Exactly. <laughs>
1: <You
0: know? Good. laughs> oh, uh, so, well, I want to thank you for this. This has been a great pleasure.
1: Thank you, Shabri. <laughs> you know?
0: I would go on, but I found out when I listened to my son's wonderful podcast... He has a record company called 5049. Right. And and so he's doing this I think he's up to 70 podcasts now. Wow. He does it every week. He has a, a music studio. Yeah. So and and has and he has these extraordinary composers and musicians. Yeah. They're all in this this uh um sort of genre of experimental and existential jazz. Yeah. And boy, you listen to these people and you're just like, "Wow." And what he's doing, it's going to be historic yeah what it is it's historic because these are such a small group but you know who are people going to go to to learn about people like that and Mm. their lives and their struggles and their breakthroughs
1: yeah you know stories that people need to hear that's right yeah
0: exactly and you've given us some good ones today oh good thank you thank you you so much (laughs) pleasure thanks for having me
1: all right yes (laughs) that's good